Peace of the Lord be with you on this second Sunday after Pentecost, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it's a beautiful sunny day in the upper city of Thessalonica in the 803rd year of the Roman Empire. Things are going well for you. You're a successful business person in one of the largest, richest cities in Greece. You've got a great view of the Aegean Sea from your very nice four-bedroom home with rooftop deck for those really warm evenings during the summer. Upper Thessalonica is a Jewish community. There are only a few Jewish communities in Greece, one in Athens and Corinth and a few other places, but not many other cities. The Jews in Thessalonica are not exactly like the Jews in Jerusalem. They're Hellenized Jews, in other words, Greekified. <laughs> they have Greek names, they blend in with Greek society, but they still have synagogues. They thrive on commerce because of the shipping lanes and the intersection between the Roman Empire to the west and the empire to the east. Yeah, things are going well for you. You're well off. You've got friends in high places. But your world turns upside down when you hear about this man called the Christ who came back from the dead and was seen alive to his friends and hundreds more in Jerusalem and Galilee and Judea. Your local synagogue has been a place of much excitement these last few days. Lots of shouting and arguing back and forth as to whether this Christ is a hoax or the real deal. To see, not everyone's buying the good news of Jesus. One reason being, the two guys that came into your city to tell people about this are ex-cons. They just got out of prison a couple of towns away. Not exactly the kind of men you want to put your trust in for any kind of news or information. But you see, things are beginning to happen in the upper city which prove to you these men are something special. Their message is different from others you've heard. And people are beginning to treat each other differently. Particularly you notice the women are focusing less on themselves and more towards others who for as long as anyone can remember were neglected. Widows, women in debt, prostitutes, the unmarriable, the sick, and so forth. Things are changing. Typical mistrust, coldness, and heavy-handedness between men is giving way to a brotherly approach. Kindness, compassion, and mercy, which for generations was reserved only for your closest family members, can be extended to anyone, everyone. And it's different. It's good. This is something you want to be a part of. You even let these two convicts stay in your palatial home and feed them your choicest meats and your best wine until things start to really heat up. And a riot starts in town over this whole Christ thing. You get wind that the authorities are coming to your house to drag your two guests out into the street to do who knows what. You're pretty sure it's not to have a friendly debate about who's the king. So that evening you send your house guests quickly out into the night with your blessing and a prayer for their safety. No sooner they're out of sight, the authorities come beating down your door looking for them. When they find your house and your rooftop empty, they drag you and a, 
a few of your compatriots to the city council for an interrogation you won't soon forget. It's scary. You feel your life is in danger. They're threatening you with prison if you don't pay up. So you make bail and you and your friends go back home. Forever changed. Life will never be the same. Your finances are wrecked because you had to give most of what you own to the council. And you'll have to work harder now to give to the cause of the Christians of whom you are now part of. But your experience is not in vain, you see. For these two men you scurried away will go to the next town and will convert more Jews and Greeks to the brotherhood of this Jesus who has turned the world on its head. Your name, your Greek name will even be mentioned in a letter that will be read, heard, and printed for two millennia or more so that others may also be encouraged and emboldened to make Jesus known and serve their fellow human beings. Your name is Jason. Not Jason of the Argonauts. He was a Greek myth. Yasan is how you say it in the Greek. And listen to what Madison DeLong, a new Christian, today says about Jason. She says, I'm not extremely familiar with the Bible stories, and I'm still learning more every day. When I read Acts 17, my first thought was, Jason? Who is Jason? I had not heard that name in the Bible. Incidentally, I was uh, curious about who this person was and why he's mentioned. Even though he is a small character, I think there is a lot to learn from him. Jason clearly had the financial ability to bail not only himself, but others out of jail. This makes me think of our callings as Christians. We are called to spread the gospel and worship God. However, we all have different specific callings. While some are called to the mission field, like Paul, others are called to help in other ways, such as finances. While Paul and Silas may feel bad, they left Jason with a mess. Perhaps Jason felt like he made a difference. Maybe he felt he was able to truly make a difference and help spread the gospel. Well, I would say that's a good bet, wouldn't you? I mean, we don't hear anything about Jason in Acts after the reading that I read. We do hear about a Jason from Romans. As you, if you were paying attention, you picked up on that name at the end. And Paul wrote his letter to the, to the Christians in Rome after he wrote to those in Thessalonica, so it follows that it, it could be the same Jason. And if it is, we can see that he is a fellow worker with Paul and the others. Now, Paul seems to parallel Jason with Lydia, who we hear about in the chapter before the one I read. And remember Lydia? Uh, that's a name you probably remember more or know a little better, perhaps, because we do hear about her periodically throughout the church year. Paul says about her, this is before he went to Thessalonica, he says, on the Sabbath we went out of the gate and along the river where we thought there was a place for prayer. We sat down and started to talk to the women gathered there. There was a woman by the name of Lydia, a dealer in purple goods, who came from the town of Thyatira. She worshipped God. As she listened, the Lord opened her heart to be interested in what Paul said. When she and her family were baptized, they urged us, If you're convinced I believe in the Lord, come and stay at my home. 
and she made us stay with her. <laughs> we can look at Lydia and Jason and see who they, be, who they became and how they helped the early church. But I'm telling you, there are lots of Lydia's and Jason's in our community right now. They believe in, in a God. They may even believe there is a Jesus. And yet, like these two people from Acts, there's so much more for the Lord to do with them. To open their hearts and be interested in what Paul says. And what the gospel writers say. And Moses and, and everyone else. Our mission is to converse with them. Luke doesn't say how Paul met Jason and how their relationship began, but it might have happened the same way as with Lydia. Paul and Silas sat down and started conversing with the women who were gathered where they were. This happens in your daily life. Wherever you go and where I go, although less for me as I spend most of my time with people already in the church, Okay, but maybe I should try some public proclamation like Cliff uh, Knetchel. He's a pastor at Grace Community Church in New Canaan, Connecticut, and he's got a YouTube channel. See, I'm on a YouTube kick now, if you remember from last week. Cliff Knetchel's got a YouTube channel where he posts videos of himself with college or debating with college students and college faculty about the truth of the gospel of Jesus. I recommend these videos to you. The channel on YouTube is called Give Me an Answer. There's one in particular where the young students argue with Cliff that Christianity was made up much later than what the New Testament claims. And that people started it to just make their own religion. And Knetchel's response is one we already know. You know it because you've heard what happened to the apostles many times from this lectern and this pulpit. Who in their right mind would start a religion in a hostile environment as the Roman Empire in the first century? Who would expose themselves to such danger as Jason did over something that wasn't true or could be debunked and discredited? Jason got off easy with the authorities. He lost a lot of money in the process, but he didn't lose his head. He didn't lose everything. The apostles, except for John, weren't that fortunate, as well as Paul and Silas. Another talking point with naysayers is the element of embarrassment in the early church. If someone wanted to invent a religion, the figures or characters in the narrative aren't going to be people with moral failings, such as the disciples. You know, they're not going to be ex-convicts ex like Paul and Silas. The people who develop this new religion aren't going to be people who must bail themselves out of court and make themselves look bad in the eyes of the people in their community. This all happened the way it did because God doesn't work salvation in the world through powerful heroes and righteous mortals who are above the vices of men. That's the stuff of Greek mythology and the legends of the ancient world. Our faith is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ who calls and works with embarrassingly weak-hearted, weak-minded, sinful people who stumble around like fools to one-up each other in their importance 
and all the time failing to listen to and to understand their teacher and Lord. Who's going to make that story up? You know, if someone made up that story, that's the person you need to find. That person's a genius. Because no one else in the history of literature on this earth has written anything more compelling. At the end of the day, people who chalk the Bible up as something made up by someone who they don't have an answer as to who wrote it or who made it up and when and why and where and how and what for. They just say it was. What are you going to do? But those who do believe and are interested in learning more, we have opportunity. There are things we can do here together to converse with the Jasons and the Lydias of our community. And our preschool is a prime place where parents gather and me and the staff are going to work harder at creating pathways to membership in the church. It isn't easy. People in this town may worship God in some way. They may believe, but they're not necessarily church-minded. Firm Foundations Academy, Northwest, is another opportunity. They're using our classrooms. They'll be using them again next year. Many of those families already have a church, but as I found out this last year while getting to know some of the students, not all of them do. There's opportunity. You have opportunity as well in the places you work or go to school or hang out with friends, wherever. Jason and those like him you've heard about today risk their lives because the resurrection of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit is something that compelled them to act in support of furthering the, the news about Jesus to whomever would listen. It's more than just about knowledge of something that happened. It's gaining forgiveness of all your sin, the ones you know about, the ones you don't know about. It's gaining a new resurrected body and saying goodbye to this old sin-infused body that withers away and decays every moment. It's inheriting everything God has made. It's yours. That's worth sharing. It's worth being laughed at for. It's worth, and if we follow the example of Jason and the others, it's worth being hauled into court for. It's worth being beaten for. It's worth being imprisoned for and ultimately dying for. We all took the oath of confirmation, right? For even though we die, we live. So, amen.